Offside with Andrew Gutling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside in the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Transfer deadline day. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? The drama of the transfer deadline day has been largely eclipsed by what we saw yesterday. I mean, yeah. we'll mention the transfers, but I'm still in a I'm in a state of shock right now. No, we do. We have caught offside correspondents positioned all throughout the globe at various training facilities. We are your home for breaking news. We've always prided ourselves on our news breaking. Um, so we uh, we do have we have people everywhere. I'm getting word now. Hamas Rodriguez is signing for Everton. And that is just trickling into the caught offside studios. So stay tuned for more. Your home for breaking news on transfer deadline day. What's up, brother? How's everything going? Are you enjoying? Uh, I, I was out this weekend among the fall foliage. It's a beautiful time in the Northeast with the leaves. Yeah. I, uh, I carved yeah. a pumpkin for the first time in, in many years. It was Hell a, are you glori- a, glorious, you a, a glorious, wholesome weekend. I could not get in contact with you yesterday throughout the day oh, yeah. through one of the most consequential days in recent Premier League history. And you're you're nowhere to be found. I needed someone to talk to, and I left four messages. And by the end of the day, I was just concerned for your well-being. I know. Um, you actually sent a text that, that reflected that. I, I was touched. Yeah. Oh, I mean, think of all the ish that went down yesterday, and you're out amongst the pumpkins. What the hell is wrong with you? Um, no, that was actually Saturday. I was amongst the pumpkins. Sunday, I had a barbecue at somebody else's house. So I DVR'd everything and, um, watched it when I could. And I, and as you found out when I DVR, I I've learned from lessons past where I'm like, okay, I'm going to DVR it, but I'll keep my phone on me and just try to avoid messages from certain people. Uh, uh, doesn't work. If you want to DVR something and not know the score, you've got to go all in on that. Yeah. And so I basically turned my phone off. Oh yeah. Now, I, I don't shut it off completely in case of like some kind of emergency or there, you know, but like if I see, if I happen to catch a glimpse that you have texted me, forget it. Oh yeah. No, I'm not checking. No, you're, you're very good. You're, you're very disciplined. You go dark yeah. on these things. At time. 622 PM, you texted me and said, uh, not hearing from you today is concerning. And then I got back to you finally five minutes later. Cause I was just finishing, um, Tottenham Manchester United at that point. So yeah, I, I went, I do, I do go, I do go dark and it's worth it because that's, it's not, I guess like a little bit of, of insight on a game viewing experience. It's not as much fun when you know the outcome. Correct. And you're, you're, you're not going to, most of the time, especially with soccer, which is a commitment, you're not going to, if you know the outcome, you're not watching it. You're fast forwarding. You're going to try and find the minutes from the game. Listen, set the table for this podcast, Andrew. People are dying to hear what we thought of the the celebration on your part and the debacle on my part of a weekend. Yeah. You say that uh, you don't watch the game um, when you know the outcome. Uh, that one yesterday, I might have. Tottenham 6, Manchester United 1. We will talk about that. We will talk about Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. These are like old-timey scores. I don't even know what I'm looking at. It's do, you remember like, back, do you remember back in the day, like in the in the 30s, Andrew, you'd look back at the scores and there was 8-2s and 6-5s. And there was much more of those results. I feel like we're trapped in the Pathé Newsreel. So, Aston, Villa, Aston Villa scored 7 against Liverpool, against the Liverpool Reds at the weekend. Many working-class people attended this game. You that know. would always make it into the report. It's important to know the... Uh, 
The laborers were there. This young man with a flat cap's enjoying the game as he smokes on a cigarette aged 15. Well, full disclosure. So like I said, I was I was dark the whole day. And so at one point during the afternoon, I was outside playing with Jack and my neighbors came by and the dad was with his son. He's roughly my age and he knows that I'm a huge soccer fan. And he just, not knowing that I was that I hadn't seen anything, he just casually making conversation goes, oh, Liverpool. And I was like, I was like, before you say anything else, I'm DVRing Tottenham Manchester United. Don't tell me anything, but go on. I was like, Liverpool, what? He's like, they lost 7-2. And I was like, wait, because I knew in my head they were playing Aston Villa, but I was like, well, mm. Liverpool can't lose 7-2 to Aston Villa. Oh, they can. So I said, I was oh, like, wait can. a minute. I was like, who did they play again? Like, I, I, maybe I was wrong. He's like, they played Villa. I said, wait, what? Where am I? What year is this? How long was I asleep for? Like, it was one of those results that it doesn't. It's it's such a do not compute. So we'll we'll obviously talk about that because I'm so curious for your for your thoughts on it. Um, and then obviously it's transfer deadline day. We've got to go through some of the uh, the bigger moves that occurred today, as well as kind of just like I haven't had a chance to really dive that deeply into it, but sort of our uh, winners and losers, kind of just like Off thirty thousand our heads, kind of thing. Um, and it's been an interesting. A uh, few days for some Americans abroad. So we'll talk about uh, Serginio Dest and what now lies in store for him at Barcelona. We'll talk about Gio Reyna and the monster of a weekend that he had. And then another uh, a great mailbag, JJ. I, I've, I've already taken a peek at some of the questions. I'm glad that um, we will be able to get into the Landon Donovan situation uh, in San Diego because I know that's something a lot of people are, are curious to hear our thoughts about. And I'm curious to talk to you about it. Um, so yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of good ones. And as, as we just finished up our review last week for, uh, all or nothing Tottenham, we have a new show to be reviewing and we'll yeah. talk about that later on in the podcast. You we seem will. so excited about it. Maybe if there, if it was possible to have you less excited to review something than you were for Tottenham all or nothing, we might've found that show right out of the gate. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on that. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm going to be yet again bucking the the trend of public opinion on this. Yeah, yeah, so it seems. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, 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 we start with what was truly a memorable weekend in the Premier League. Um, not even for just the, the Tottenham win and the Villa win, but a oh. couple other games that we'll mention as well. But let's start with those because those were the headline grabbers. And we'll start at Old Trafford where it's 6-1 to Spurs. I've selected some music just to sum up your mood at the end of that game. Uh, please indulge me. Sunshine, lollipops and green bows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. It's so true. You <laughs> nail it. Like you absolutely nail it. And I hate that I'm a 36-year-old man with a family whose mood is still dictated by how his teams perform. Like when, when that game ended, like if Tottenham lose a game like that, I'm standoffish. I'm cold to those around me. Tottenham won that yesterday. I, like I said, I saw the result around six 30. I'm giving Jack uh, his dinner and Luca's dinner. I'm moonwalking across the kitchen. I'm singing like I'm a different person. It's just the way it is. I can't change that part of me. I know people can hopefully relate, or I just expose myself as a complete freak. Um, but let's talk about the game, JJ, because if, if you sat down in front of your TV like five minutes late, you 
you missed an unbelievable amount of action. Manchester United-Tottenham is the first Premier League match to see three goals scored in the opening seven minutes since Burnley-Man City in April of 2010. Um, wow. The uh, I thought the penalty was, I mean, it was obviously startling for how quickly it happened, but it was to me it was the right call. It was awkward, and, and you thought that the game immediately was going to get off to a certain trend for... I, I felt like I could see ahead into into time. Mourinho there, United have won two one. We'll say, and he says perfect performance. I, I just I cannot speak right now. I refuse to speak because the referee has gone against him in this case. But oh no, the wheels came off. They did. They for United did. very quickly. Uh, it was pretty shocking and. Just moments later uh, on what was obviously, I mean, it was only the fourth minute, Tottenham's real first kind of foray into the United end of the match. Um, I mean, it was it was nothing too dangerous necessarily. It was just kind of awkwardly dealt with by Harry Maguire. And then... Firstly by Pogba. Yeah. And then by Bailly. And then Maguire and Shaw got into this dance where... Is that what you would call it? I, I've it's never more of a, seen... More of just a takedown. I've never seen anything quite like it. As Shaw prepares to clear the ball, uh, Harry Maguire is wrenching at him, trying to get at it as if he is the attacker. I mean, that imagine Shaw was playing for Tottenham. It would have been a penalty what he did. 100%. It, it was just an incredible moment. He's like, what are you doing? And the ball is dispatched to the back of the net by... Uh, who was it scored that one? There was so many goals. and Dombele. Ndombele whips it home and then begins what can only be described as as a complete and utter collapse for Manchester United. A defensive I, I meltdown. Yeah. And more than that, what was in front of United melted down as well. Every single part of the team fell asunder. Unbelievable. The second and, goal came on, on a foul and just... Yeah. Why he goes into the back of Kane and, and Kane a is quick restart, yeah. While Matic and I don't know how many other players just are like <laughs> they're innocent bystanders, they're not involved well, in the it, game. To me, it's, it's Maguire again that, that cannot allow that to happen. He's pretty much right, he's the one who's in front of Kane, yeah. and he has to be that guy. Like you see it all the time players are getting ready to take a quick free kick, and somebody before you know, before the ref has like blown his whistle, somebody on the defense will step in and make sure that it can't happen. Like Maguire, he's got to do that, and he doesn't. And Son and Kane, right now, you talk about two guys who are operating on the same wavelength. I mean, these two are sharing a brain. Son makes his run as Kane is still placing the ball down because he knows what's going to happen here, and Kane knows as well. And he feeds him with the perfect pass. Son finishes beautifully, and and like you say, we're seven minutes in. It's two one, and and we're off. And it's like, how could United possibly make this worse quicker than going down to ten men? And and they do it. So I guess if we're going to go through this chronologically, let's talk about that because it seems to be um, this a, a point of of real contention for a lot of people in the way this played out. And I will say this about it: um, I guess I, I mean what Lamella did to draw that red card. I will never sit here and tell you, you know, yes. Good job. Like that's I hate that element of the game. It's uh it's embarrassing. Like watching the replay of that, it's you know, it's it's almost shameful to me. Like it's just not 
It's just not a part of the sport that I think but anybody hang on, enjoys. Or hang on, hang on. Let, let's break this down quickly because I really don't think we should go through every every part of the game, but this part is important. Andrew, what Lamella did to Anthony Martial is not great, but it's jostling in the penalty area. It happens. Martial reacts and puts his hands in his face, but he doesn't even really belt him. And Lamella goes down in, I, I don't know who tweeted it, but Lamella basically, I think it was Adam Hurry, tweeted, Lamella goes down in the fashion of, I've got no other choice now that you've done this but to, to, but, but to play act. Yeah. I've got no other choice. I mean, it's it's embarrassing, but it's not it's not unheard of. And for the United fans who are who are, I guess, furious that a, a red card, if it was a red card offense for Martial, why wasn't it a red card offense for Lamella? The only thing that I could say, and I don't know, I'm not in the referee's head, but the only thing I could say is that for Lamella's, you could make a case that it's part of the play, that he's trying to like gain a, some sort of spatial advantage by doing that. Um, whereas Martial's was clearly out of retaliation and anger. Uh, and so the rules are pretty clear on that, that as weak as it might be, any kind of hand to the face and anger is a red card. It just is. So uh, honestly, if I was refing, you know, the way like Sunday league referees ref, it's always, they're allowed to use their discretion much more because they don't have thousands or millions of people watching them. And there's no, it's low stakes. So they often have a word like they'll, hand to the face or a slap or whatever, they'll come over and rule it themselves and they'll say, hey, look, don't do that again. I wouldn't have sent off either of them. I wouldn't even booked either of them. That's the kind of incident it was. But if you're going to go by the letter of the law, then there we are. And you know, it was interesting too, because I saw somebody tweet and I don't remember who it was, but and I don't remember the exact tweet itself. So pardon me for just kind of paraphrasing it, but the gist of it was uh, somebody saying that this is, you know, this is an annoying element of the sport that foreigners have brought into the Premier League. And Ooh. it was interesting because I saw Ozzy Ardiles, former Tottenham player and a fellow countryman of Eric Lamella, Argentinian, t- rip that notion to shreds. And Gra- so that- Graham Sunis on yes. Sky got himself into hot water, suggesting that this was a Latin thing. Right, right, t- right. It was him that said it. Su- yeah, suggesting that this was brought to England by foreigners, and that there was almost a. He used the term, they brought it to our game, I believe. I'm paraphrasing again, but he may have used the term our, our game. And I I mean, the problem with that now, there's been an apology sense issued by Sky Sports, which I would, I want to hear what Graham Sunis, you know, talk through that thought. How have you got to that conclusion, Graham, when you were, by your own admission, it's documented everywhere. One of the players who thumped other players punched other players on the field you know what are you talking about you are not the vessel to deliver this message graham like and i personally as a liverpool fan i love Sunis. he was a brilliant player he was also filthy dirty <laughs> by his own admission yeah all right so i don't want to hear it from him so now i know you say you don't want to go through this game moment by moment and we're not going to but i do think it's important to then mention what happens right after the red card because yeah. you can say you know okay you go down to 10 men and tottenham are, are clearly in some kind of form right now um so united at some point it felt like they were going to break but i i think it's important to point out that the goal that united then immediately conceded i'm sorry to me it's not a goal that has anything to do with being down to 10 men it's playing out from the back sloppy Sloppy ball from Bay, Harry Kane and Tottenham. Now we talk about Jose Mourinho wanting his team to be pressing and then not listening in the past. They're listening now. They're pressing. 
Kane intercepts. Tom I mean, how do you not press that? Well, yeah, but I'm saying they're doing it, and and Kane does it. It looked like Pochettino press. I mean, it was that same level. Kane takes it away, and they're right back into attack, and then bang, Son back to Kane goal, and, and like. To me, that's that's not a 10-man goal. That's not, you know, we just have more guys than you. That's United, sloppy, and Tottenham taking advantage. And, and then you can see you can see United are done and they're gone. And the next goal, the fourth goal, you see the most horrific thing that a United fan can see right now, which is a long ball into the corner, a good pass, I would say. Uh, a diagonal ball and and Maguire having to come out of the center to defend it. And you just know, I said, this is going to end up as a goal. And he ends up being, I can't remember what it was. Aurier again, plays a really clever ball into Son's path, who deftly flicks it beyond De Gea. And it's 4-1. It's 4-1. This is, this is incredible. Now, United are not and have not been, I mean, they've been outplayed in most of their games to begin the season. But this just escalated so quickly. You saw Solskjaer's face as he went down the tunnel. I mean, Andrew, there was nothing he could do except damage limitation for the second half, and they didn't even really manage that. No. No, they didn't. He made substitutions to do it, but he brought Fred in. But it it was a mess. Well, it was just interesting to see you know, like Bruno Fernandez converts the penalty in the first two minutes of the match. And then I don't know, I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I could be wrong, but I feel like I didn't hear his name again. The rest of the game. The only time you heard Pogba's name was when he was a not tracking on the Aurier goal, the fifth one where he's just doing the the kind of fake runny thing, you know, Aurier has gone by him. He's no awareness that he's there or else he just cannot be bothered to get into defensive position. And then the tackle for the penalty where he's just, Sliding in with his chest. I don't know what he's doing. No. Just reckless and kind of just but careless in the way he went about it. I think that's the word, though. Careless. There was no care in what anybody did in a red jersey at Old Trafford. It was, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it, it was. it's a concerning afternoon for them based on, I guess, the form that they were in coming in. Um, and just like, I don't know the season, it was just not supposed to go this way. And, and there's still, obviously, I mean, we're so early still, there's, there's so much time for them to and write there the are, ship. And there's so many weird, weird score lines happening right. anyway, that you can put it down. To, you, I mean, if you're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that's exactly what you're doing. Well, you, yeah. You're, you're trying to rally the troops and say, Hey, look, this season is young. Um, I mean, he kept referencing the 6-1 before when um, City came and beat, was it 2011 or 2012? They beat uh, United 6-1 at Old Trafford. But three of those goals... 2011. 2011. Three of those goals were scored like in in garbage time. Yeah. I guess it's just, it's eye-opening to me because there wasn't much coming into this season that would lead you to believe you'd get this from United early on. Why not? well, I just felt like well, not this. Do you but- think momentum was was building in their favor? Okay, they didn't push the Jaden Sancho signing across the line, but I think coming into this season, you finally felt good about this Rashford, Martial, Greenwood, and attack. Right, Bruno Fernandez now was going to have a full year with this club, and we saw the the impact that he made. Pogba was back healthy and was impactful in a positive way at the end of last season. The question was going to be about their defending, and I think that that has 
that has escalated in a way that maybe was underestimated coming in. But you thought that all those other pieces in attack could maybe outweigh the problems in the back. You know, Harry Maguire's played terribly. I still don't think he's a terrible player. Mm. He's just he's in a he's having a bad moment right now. I just I'm watching this from United this starts of the season and and personally I'm I'm surprised by it. I did not think that they would look as poorly as they have. I I I liked I liked the signing of uh Donny van de Beek. I thought they needed a defensive minded a more defensive minded mid- midfielder to screen that back four. Shaw was a problem. Wambasaka has regressed since he's been at Old Trafford although I still think he's a good player. My question was was there a manager there in Solskjaer that could tie it all together. I kept saying that Solskjaer would would probably ultimately, when history is written of this period of Manchester United, get the credit for blooding youngsters, but not much else. Andrew, he's not up to it. He can't. This team is dysfunction. I mean, look, I, I put him on my my hottest seat coming yeah. into the season, and and if that is the case, then this was this was worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, and look. Things things got rapidly bad in this game very quickly. I accept that. And there were mistakes, individual errors, for which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can't be held accountable. But I was reading Michael Cox this morning, who, you know, kind of, he's like me. He's trying to debunk the myth that's amongst Manchester United fans that this isn't anything to do with coaching or anything to do with the manager. Hmm. And he talked about the signing part of things because United fans have been and indeed the manager himself has hinted well we need this signing we need that we need to get this done and you know coaching has been put on the back burner and this is what Michael Cox said for the, for the Athletic good players certainly help but when United are outplayed by Crystal Palace and Brighton who would probably get two players into the United starting 11 at best it becomes a bizarre argument the greater problem is United's lack of structural organization, primarily in possession, but seemingly now without possession too, and perhaps their overall mentality. Both are the responsibility of the manager and are not remedied solely by new signings. I don't know, man. I, I it's I hard to understand that. It's hard to get away from these conclusions about him. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was ugly. Like you said, United conceded six goals in a single Premier League game for only the third time. Uh, you mentioned the Manchester City one. The other one was back in 1996 against Southampton. Um, that was right. That was um, 6-2 at the Dell, I think. This is uh, this is a rarity. You that that is for sure. I think the uh, I don't know the the fan in me. You know, we're trying to be as objective as we can here, but the fan in me watches Tottenham do something like that to Manchester United, and you just can't help but have those words, lads at Spurs. Uh, echoing in your head and I think that you know Tottenham fans do like that's remembered and I know it's not that guy there anymore um, but I think that you know Manchester United is one of those glamour fixtures and I think for Tottenham fans those those three words in particular kind of add a little something to it scoring six at Old Trafford is amazing yeah a a quick note on Tottenham then we'll move on Um, I gotta say this was supposed to be a really difficult patch for them and it started horribly with that Newcastle result uh credit to them because then two days later they picked themselves up and they beat Chelsea on penalties in the Carabao Cup two days after that they go and they face Maccabi Haifa uh and beat them 7-2 to secure their place in the Europa League group stage and then a couple days after that three days after that they score six at Old Trafford against Manchester United so they have rebounded nicely from what could have been kind of a demoralizing end to that Newcastle match I saw this JJ uh, the official Twitter account from Maccabi Haifa 
tweeted after the game yesterday to Manchester United. They said, hi, at Man United. Seems like we caught Spurs official on the wrong week. Thanks for that. Appreciated that. I'm sure Manchester United needed to see that. Um, I love it when the accounts, the social media guys just act like they're involved. They're like the waiter that's trying to get involved in your conversation. Now the waiter's involved. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then finally on Tottenham, um, you know, we talk about Kane, we talk about Son. Um, Tangi and Dombele, like people who listened last year after that signing, I thought it was huge for Tottenham. I was made to look foolish for most of the season. I I was defending that guy deep into the year. And then finally it it became difficult to defend him because he's not getting game time. And when he is, he wasn't effective, but I still have believed that there is a player in there and not just a player, but one that this club in particular desperately needs this kind of defensive minded midfielder who can push play into attack. And then next thing you know, like he's a part of it. I mean, he's, he's one of these box to box guys. Um, And I think you're starting to see it. I know it's small doses. He's still working his way back. He he hasn't played many full games, um, but he was very good in this one. He was good earlier in the week um, in the Europa League match. So it's just something to keep an eye on because he was such an expensive signing. And uh, if he comes good, it, it will almost feel like a new signing for them this year. Well, speaking of signings, I think they've had an excellent window. A we'll really excellent. We a have really- a whole... A whole transfer deadline spectacular, JJ. Yeah, and I, well, I'm just going to say, if, if I'm a Tottenham fan, I expect I expect much from this squad. Okay. I really do. I think it's a good squad. Well, you're not alone. Harry Redknapp uh, made some comments as well, which we can discuss later. Yeah, okay. Um, Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. I've got some music, Andrew. is familiar Barbara's adagio for strings I think it was in uh, platoon ah it was the uh, the the scene in platoon where in the grass the slow motion scene ah mm. it's a tough one yeah yep. I thought you, you could have gone that you could have gone with um, from the wedding singer Robbie Hart when he has his breakdown on stage somebody kill me please I want to die and he he loses it yeah this was um in a word, horrifying. Now, I, I will start out by saying <laughs> yeah. a couple of things here. Um, Liverpool, we, we talk about United. Um, Liverpool, when they conceded their sixth, it was uh, they conceded six goals in a Premier League game for only the second time. Uh, a 6-1 defeat to Stoke back in 2015, which, if I'm not wrong, was that? That was Gerrard's last league game for the club. <laughs> what a day. Um, yeah, now, unbelievable. And imagine Rodgers lasted to the, to the following October. Yeah. Now let me let me reach across here and deliver you the hand of friendship. As oh, we, thank you, Senator. As we, as My partisanship. Begin, as we begin this segment here, and I want to start out by paying Liverpool the ultimate compliment. And so, as I'm watching this transpire, and Salah scores in the 59th, and it's it had been five one, he scores, and it's now five two with 30 minutes, roughly 30 minutes to go. And my instinct that has been kind of pounded into me from the last few years of watching this team under Jurgen Klopp is, okay, here it comes. Yep. Like, okay, this is not over. They're going to find a way. You just have been trained to believe that they are never out of a game. And so he scores that goal. And that is where my head goes. Villa are in trouble. They're 5-2 up. 
I nearly, I, and I'm glad I didn't do it. I nearly did the, uh, do you remember Kevin Millar from the, the series uh, where don't let us win one? Don't yeah, let us win one. When he, when he was with the Red Sox and they were down three, nothing. Yeah. He said, if, they, if, if you let us win one game, we'll come roaring back. And I was going to tweet out, don't let us score one more. But I didn't, thankfully. Two more um, were scored and they were both by Aston Villa. This was horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Um, and, and and the weirdness that has surrounded this season, no fans starting the season in these uh, pandemic conditions just makes everything so weird. So it was like, huh, I, I felt more numb than anything watching it. I was like, this is terrible and awful. But I mean, is this real? I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, like I I tweeted this morning, it's not that we were beaten. Like you can get beaten. I've seen us be beaten. Watford um, in the spring uh, prior to the pandemic, I, I saw us get taken apart by a team that ended up getting relegated. But it's the it's the nature of it. The seven goals. Oh, just a dreadful performance in many aspects. Yeah. Um, like We could talk about the, you know, what is it? The uh, micro versus macro. Like we could talk about this game in particular. Um you know, the, it's Villa were unbelievable. Um, they did have a couple deflected goals, but what they had three. Well, let me break it down. It was the perfect storm of Villa executing an excellent game plan. Liverpool's intensity being off. A few early mischances. One, one Bobby Firmino one that if he scores, you wonder how it, it shakes out. Like an error from the goalkeeper and three wild deflections. Like that all comes into it together. But... For me, Andrew, I'm going to give Villa credit before we we lay into Liverpool. It's worth noting how Dean Smith paid attention to how quickly Liverpool shift as a defence in the midfield and they look to bottle you up. So they look to put the pressure on you so you can't get out. And he beat that by switching the play rapidly from one side to the other. You saw it several times um, with the ball usually ending up on the left-hand side at the feet of Jack Grealish. And as Jurgen Klopp said, each ball we lost was a massive counterattack. And that's credit to Villa for doing that. And it, it, it comes down to a few things. If Liverpool's intensity and press is off and you get through those lines, you are in on top of a back line that's playing high with space in behind. Now, you still have to exploit it. The Ollie Watkins, the first goal he scored, Andrew, was a classic example of that. Trent Alexander-Arnold has, has vacated on the left-hand side, the right-hand side of Liverpool's uh, attack, rather, the left-hand side of the Villa attack. And there's Jack Grealish is on the ball. He slides in a brilliant ball for Watkins. Then it's 1v1 versus Joe Gomez, who just doesn't, right now, 1v1, he's not up to it. He doesn't get close to him. He doesn't shuffle his feet. He doesn't get across. And it's in the top corner. Now, I will say, it's very hard Um it's very hard to play with Adrian right now. This is a goalkeeper who fundamentally can't do the things with his feet that Allison can do. And I had people, I, I said, just boot it. That's just crap. Just boot it. When, I, when he made that mistake, when, when Adrian made that mistake. And I had Liverpool fans texting me, but that's not what we do. That's not how we play. No, I'm sorry. He can't play that way. And Klopp even looked at him and said, just go long. Just go long. Again, it's decision-making. And when you get off to a bad start like that against a team Villa who are clearly up for it and you're on the back foot and whatever it was about the, with the midfield, um, I'll tell you what it was. You had Keita and Salah 
on the same side as Trent Alexander-Arnold and who was behind them? Joe Gomez. So that part of the field was being targeted all the time. Grealish set up camp on that side. 40% of Villa's attacks came down that side. Now, do you want to say to me that Joe Gomez is a weakness in this side? I'm not so sure about that. I think any centre-half who's under that amount of pressure because of the attack-minded nature of the midfield is going to be under pressure. And I wonder if Klopp had to do it again, although I know Henderson you know, wasn't available, but would you like to have something more conservative in there? Would you like to have a Jordan Henderson in there? You know, something that's more combative in midfield and less inclined, more likely to cover Trent Alexander-Arnold when he goes a-wandering. Yeah, um, I get that point. It's well taken, certainly in hindsight, but maybe they just don't think that that's necessary when they're playing Aston Villa. I'm not saying that you take any, any opponent lightly, but like, you look at the lineup that Klopp put out there. It's not like I would look at that and say, oh, they've gone with a weaker side today. No, no, no. I, I just mean, um, I suppose what I mean really is if things are off in the midfield, if it's not quite clicking, you want to have someone. I know Fabinho was in there, but you want to have someone who reads danger and who is a little more negatively minded than the players that Liverpool had out on, on that particular side. But... Also, Andrew, you got to win second balls. You got like Liverpool's whole thing is built on intensity, you know, and and that wasn't there. Firmino wasn't up to the pitch of it. Uh, Diego Jota was is getting there, but he's not quite there. And he doesn't, as Patrice Evera pointed out on Sky Sports, maybe he doesn't quite lead the press. He's not as much a of a of a of an animal for the press as as Sadio Mane is, who is so intense. But but Firmino was off. Um, the midfield lost the battles and the back line was exposed a, a few too many times. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the goalkeeper. I want to just throw this stat by you that I saw at Opta Joe on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Adrian has made five errors directly leading to opposition goals in his 21 appearances for Liverpool in all competitions. That is as many as counterpart Allison has in 92 such matches. Um, I think that speaks to a little bit of what you were saying. Yeah, it's it speaks volumes for me, Andrew. He's 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 not to be blunt, but he's not he's not a top. He's not a number one keeper. Um, Klopp defended him. He's going to do that, but it's worrying now because you're going into an extended period without Allison. Klopp says there's no chance he's ready for the Derby on the 17th. No chance. So that means six weeks plus. Um, there doesn't seem to be any real faith coming from his runs last season in Keevan Kelleher, the number three. So what happens now? I mean, they've done, as far as I could see, they did no business this evening in the in the transfers in terms of getting a keeper in. I don't know what they're going to have to do, but um, yeah. it's a worry. And that sort of feeds into the last thing that I wanted to ask about this game. And, you know, obviously, like, Liverpool can't always be what they were last season, this this invincible club. Um there's going to be moments where that cracks. Like you said, I don't know if anybody, if anyone would have expected it to crack in this way against this opposition. Um, but I think what you have to try to figure out if you're Liverpool is, and if you're Klopp, when you're kind of rehashing this game tape, okay, what is an isolated incident? You know, just a, a good player had a bad night. We bury the tape. We move on. And what of this is real? You know, like we kind of made fun of it a little bit, but you know, last week Roy Keane is talking about Liverpool looking mm. sloppy. Uh, just before that, they're you know in Leeds' return to the Premier League, Liverpool's given up three goals yeah. to a newly promoted side. You know, it, there are we have seen little 
hints maybe at a Liverpool regression, which again, I want to hammer home. I don't want all the, the Liverpool lovers on me for saying that, but they, nobody could continue at the pace they were going. Uh, but the question is, is, is there real danger here or uh, is this kind of, you know, no, we'll be all right. No, there's, there's, there's question marks. We've seen it. I mean, we've, like you said, the Leeds game, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen Liverpool targeted in, in a certain fashion in these games uh, and it's been mainly the right-hand side of their defence. And are you going to tell me no other team is going to do that? Um, the high line as well, uh, the thing for the, uh, the thing about the high line for me is that it is important to the way Liverpool play. It's, it, it, it compresses the field and it, it, it's vital to the pressure, leaving no space. But lately, the back line have not been ready for when that's turned over. And if there's no pressure on the ball, you need to be on the half turn as a centre back and get back really quickly. Now, does Klopp kind of look at this and think maybe we need to tweak things in midfield? Like I said, a more conservative approach, maybe play two at the base of the midfield in the second half. Although it didn't make a difference, he switched to four two, a kind of a four two three one. There was two holding midfielders as opposed to having just that four that traditional four three three. Before we finish on this, on the tactical side of this, because. You know, people want to know how this happened. Uh, Jamie Carragher talked a little bit about what Liverpool do defending-wise that he doesn't like, and that may become a recurring theme over the season. problem with the, the line Liverpool have, and people say it's a high line. Okay, well, it's a high line. My problem is when they're in that position, they stand and wait and try and play offside. I hate teams who play offside. I, I hated it when I was a defender myself. I think in that position, you've got to be ready. Okay, this is me high line. You're ready to kick, and as soon as you kick it, I'm running back. That's the problem for me with the not so much the Liverpool defenders. This comes from the manager, no doubt, and the coaching staff. And listen, what can you say to being so successful? I just think within those positions, and someone's ready to kick the ball, you've got to be ready to run back. They're not ready to run back. They just hold the line and wait for the linesman to flag. More often than not, they get it. Okay, credit to them. But I just don't feel comfortable as a defender or maybe even a Liverpool fan watching it where I think someone's going to go and throw on goal I think that's a, I think that's a very good point I'd also mention Bayern Munich are suffering a, a similar kind of issue what do we talk about Bayern Munich and PSG Andrew oh they play the high remember during the summer it was the summer of the high line where we talked about oh wait and PSG get them and they get in behind that is a genuine concern, but they have Alfonso Davies and they had, you know, enough pace to get back into covering positions. Question is, are Liverpool alert to that now? Have they have they dropped off and been ready and been reactive to that ball in behind? Yeah, uh, it's funny. And we'll kind of use this as a, a transition point into the next match we were going to talk about, which is Manchester City and Leeds. Um, you know, before the season started, when you and I were talking about uh, there not being fans in stadiums, we were trying to figure out, okay, who will this most adversely hurt and who will this possibly help? And we kind of thought that days like yesterday would be the days that benefit the Liverpools and the Manchester City. Yeah. The giant clubs, the, the the great teams going into the lesser teams' grounds and not having to deal with you know the, the rage that was going to be spit at them from those fan bases that couldn't wait for a piece of them to see their, their smaller club, not that Villa's a small club or Leeds is, but I'm saying – Teams teams expected to finish lower in the table. Oh, Andrew, I'm glad I to call myself. Oh, that oh my close. God, can you imagine? No, that was close, JJ. Leeds aren't a small club. This American, this dumb yank. Stupid yank. Caught myself, everybody. Well, um, 
but these these clubs expected to finish lower on the table. Like this was going to be an advantage for them was to these home matches against the big sides, and it didn't it didn't matter. It did not matter. Let's talk uh, quickly here about Leeds and City. Leeds go toe to toe with them. I mean, JJ, like the style that Manchester City want to play. Can you ever think of another time when a newly promoted side would play against Pep's Manchester City and outpossess them? But have you ever have you ever think of another time where a newly promoted side would play the way Bielsa plays, which is kind of the way Pep likes his teams to play? Yeah. Like this was a meeting of two colossus of managerial tactics and of a and of a, a definitive style of play. And Leeds are relentless under Bielsa, Andrew. If you see some of the runs they were still making in the pouring rain in that game, right up until the end, like and the combinations that they do, and and it was funny. It's uh, it's one of those times where I, I actually enjoy a post a post match press conference from a manager because I know it was one one and it's not ideal. And as it transpired, Liverpool's defeat um, means City weren't cut adrift, but. Uh, Pep Guardiola just loved that game. Afterwards, he just thoroughly enjoyed this matchup. And it was a brilliant game. And I know Ederson made a mistake, but apart from if he didn't, if they didn't have him in goal for, for some of the saves that he pulled off, Leeds could have won that game. Equally, City could have too. Bielsa divided it up into two, into this way. He said, at the start and at the end, Manchester City were dominant, but the middle part was ours. I thought they I thought they were brilliant. And again, I tweeted this out and people, you know, people they didn't like me tweeting it out. They 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 kind of get upset about it because I keep banging on about it. Maybe I'm a, a broken record, but it was a tweet from someone saying Bielsa is like the embodiment of a manager who comes in and can make an immediate impact on whatever players he's given. And that was true from the start. Now have they signed players since? Yes. But you look at your Luke Ailings, your Klitsches, your um who else is there? Uh, it's Stuart Dallas, players like that. I mean, Andrew, these were ch- these are lifetime championship players for the most part. Well, and Luke, Luke Ayling in particular has been fantastic. Right. He's 29. Them. He spent all his career in 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 League One and the championship. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This is a this is a triumph for for you know detail and coaching and doing your job. Oh, he's he's spectacular. Like everything that we were told we'd be getting. Um <laughs> with Bielsa coming up to the Premier League, you're getting it. I mean, and you're seeing it. It's, it has been spectacular. Um, and I respect them for an unwillingness to bend what they want to do, regardless of who they're playing. I mean, how could you not admire it? And the fact that their fans are not in the ground right now means this honeymoon for people like, Oh, you hear fans, especially in America who don't remember Leeds the last time they were up or don't remember the the history of dirty Leeds. They, they don't realize like having Leeds as your second team, I mean, I think that's a that's a net benefit of not having their fans around. Yeah. Uh, two things for Manchester City. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's free kick attempt early in the match, he, he wound up missing it. It hit off the post. Mm. But like, he's the only guy that's trying to do that from that distance. And the yeah. fact that he was so close to that, I've, I've watched the replay of that attempt multiple times because it's just, even his misses are are a thing of beauty to me. Box office misses. Yeah. And Raheem Sterling's goal too. I mean, it's just such a Sterling goal. He's, he's a fantastic player when he's in, when he's in form and it looks like he's rounding into that. Now he's been good over the past couple of games for them. And we'll see if he's able to kick on. Um, 
but yeah, Ederson is kind of the interesting point from this one. It was sort of a best of times, worst of times. His mistake was bad. If you're going to come for that on a corner, you better make better contact than that. He kind of smacked it off the back of Mendy. Um, and uh, who was it? Rodrigo that was right Rodrigo there. rolled it home. What a game he had as well. Yeah. Um, uh, one of Leeds' new signings. So yeah, uh, Leeds, they remain this team that I don't think anybody wants any part of right now. Uh, one of the more fun sides to watch thus far. Speaking of which, JJ, it's it's becoming difficult to argue with the idea that anybody looks better than Everton right now. now I'm not saying they're the best team in the league, but right now they are they're dominant. Yeah, they're very good. They are very good, and and and, it, and honestly, Brighton weren't that bad. It was a horrible day, absolutely horrible the second day. Half was unbelievable. Yeah, um, Brighton aren't that bad. Uh, they weren't that bad in this game, and yet Everton found a way to get around them. Um, and Everton's major concern now is, first of all, the derby is their next game. So there, you can imagine the mindset Everton are coming into that derby game in. Mm. Oh, um, the signings! The signings have hit the ground running. I thought to Corey, I thought Al. Um, James Rodriguez were were very good at the weekend. Um, their goalkeeper is a is a real question mark. I mean, Tim Howard was doing the analysis of Jordan Pickford's mistake where he's dropped one to let Brighton back into the game, and he said, "Oh, he should tip that over the bar." I'm like, "Just catch it! It's right there. He's got two hands on it. Just catch it." it was, it's amazing. I a, another high-profile incident of Pickford trying to decide whether or not to tip one over the bar. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, how did that work? Didn't out? end well for no <laughs> for him. Didn't did not end well. Although I think on that incident, wasn't he trying to catch it rather than just letting it go over You're the right. bar? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, they're in the amazing position that uh, they're in England's number one goalkeeper, who is their starting goalkeeper, is is the main point of trepidation. I would think for Everton right now. Yeah, I would like to submit a new, uh, maybe 2020 season version of Lampard arriving late in the box. Can I do that? Can yes, I you may. Uh, Hamas alone at the far post. Okay, we've seen it a few times now. I mean, so. his two goals in this game were a carbon copy of one another. I thought I was seeing a replay. Which which do you prefer, uh, Hamas goals or Hamas creative passing? That's a tough one for me. Yeah. I'm going to say goals. Uh, I'm going to say goals for now. Because I, okay. I keep thinking about his goal at the World Cup. Like, he can do that. He know? can, but he's so darn creative. I mean, he's... Look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Incredible, the start that he's off to. Now, I remember saying at the end of last season that he was rounding into a player that I think Everton had hoped he would be. Because he was he's still so young. But But it makes such a difference... To have a guy getting you the ball that's going to put you into positions to score. Of course. Like it changes the... I know that sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but for a young striker, that makes the world of different in in how you're perceived. Of course. Um, So Everton, keep on rolling. They are top of the table right now. It's it's been a thing of beauty for them so far. Uh, And then finally, JJ, what... What exactly is happening at West Ham right now? Now, I'm not going to act super surprised because I did say in our preview that I believe they were a team. They were my biggest leap forward. You're you're not allowed to do this, though. Why? I'll tell you why you're not allowed to do this, because you would have been factoring in. Like, so. So think of it this way. 
the Moyes master general is getting a note out of West Ham while leaving Anderson, Haller, and Yarmolenko on the bench. That's a hundred million pounds worth of talent. But that's what I said. While I said- his while his ex championship tyros Bowen and Antonio rip it up with admittedly help from Pablo Fernales at the weekend. You, my friend, you've got no. some nerve the way you like to rewrite history. Go back well, and well, listen. Sorry, did you focus on the on on, on I said on they're Bowen starting and Antonio. I said their starting eleven is dangerous, and I mentioned the three that you said in particular. I said the fact that those guys are on the bench for West Ham says something about the oh, starting okay. eleven I, that they can put forward. I'm sorry, you've got I, some nerve. No, I forgot you what. Me, no, 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 I know what happened. You tuned me out when I'm speaking. I and you that that West Ham is playing well. You can only assume that I said, "Oh, well, Yarmolenko is going to have a lot to do with it." No, you, you animal! I. Uh. By the way, Moyes is uh, because of his COVID positive test. Moyes isn't even at the games now. It's Alan Irvin, his assistant, that is taking the reins. So should we be calling this a Moyes isn't here bounce? <laughs> or that's unfair. You, you really. He's still picking the team, right? Yes, of course. Right, of course okay. he is. What he hasn't Can been I- fired. He's not. Of course he's in charge. I mean... Can I talk about B-Rog, though? As interesting as West Ham are, unless you have something else to say on West Ham. Well, I do. I do Go have ahead. more to say about West Ham. Um, All right. Well, I wanted to talk about Fornell's, his first, his goal, the oh. second. Can we oh. talk about... I, I almost want to start keeping a list of my favorite first touches. Oh, yeah. I would call it sensual first touches. Ooh. Do you like that? I do. Because, you know... In both the romantic department and the footballing department, the caress of the first touch is very important. And this was every bit that. I don't know how Andrew, guys do it. I I, I have a Andrew, little, it gave I, me chills. I have a mini soccer ball in my uh, living room that I'll I'll kick around with Jack or Luke when I'm when I'm bored. And uh, I can tell you it's they make it look easier than it actually is. Um one of the fun things to do, uh before Gaelic football training or soccer training, whatever it is, I say fun because you can embarrass yourself, is get your friend to boot the ball up into the sky and have him shout, how's your touch as you're about to control it. But like that's what And if you nail it, if you nail it, the feeling is wonderful. And he does that and then he oh, goes on the run. The goal. Right. It was, it was incredible. And then later on, you know, oftentimes with Leicester, we think pretty highly of them as, as a defending side. It's, uh, but like, Declan Rice, it doesn't wind up going for a goal, but Declan Rice takes the ball inside his own half and runs basically all the way to Schmeichel and then puts one off the underside of the crossbar and you're just watching it thinking, when is somebody from Leicester going to pick him up? How far are they going to let this guy run? I and mean, he's not the fastest guy on the field. It was it was bizarre from Leicester. And then for, on the third goal, Fornells again, uh, a beautiful assist uh, for the third goal. Cut the defense in two. Mikel Antonio scores the first on a perfectly placed header. I mean, West Ham right now, again, like we talk about with, with you know, we spoke about this with Everton uh, and Leicester, ironically enough, as well. Um, you know, we wondered if they can stay healthy, how good can they be? Uh, I'm not jumping to any kind of conclusions yet on West Ham. I'm not saying that they're, you know, the top seven, eight side. But if they can stay healthy, I, at the very least, I think you could say it's going to be a fun year for them. Which is amazing considering the discontent off the field with their fans and uh, Gold Sullivan and Brady and the campaign to get rid of them. Like it's, it, it really, right now there's like, there's just this, this strange feeling. The team is playing well, but they're totally, the fans are totally unhappy with almost every other aspect of the way the club is run. Well, I'll say that, look, I, I don't, 
I don't know a ton about that situation. I know we did it in the club with West Ham once. Um, but I will say that generally winning breeds contentment among fans. Like what mm. was, remember your, um, what was it when you were demanding, like you and Newcastle fans had a whole thing going on a number of years That's ago. That's right. Um, house of pards. Right. Yeah. Um, and remember you were very against the idea of them sacking him. I was because it made no difference. Mike Ashley would still be there. And I actually think Pardew didn't do a terrible job. Well, that was the thing. And then ultimately remember Newcastle hit like an incredible patch of form they nearly and, made the sudden, and sudden, right. And then suddenly like all that noise, all that vitriol that you had been taking for months on end, it just kind of, yeah, you know, it just kind of went away. So yeah. One guy, one guy, yeah. One guy got on sackpardew.com um, and kind of called us out and said, don't listen to this guy. He has no interest in what Newcastle in, in the best. He's no, he, he hasn't got the best interests of Newcastle United at heart. No, I don't. I'm making a podcast. Like you're of kind of like Newcastle double agent. Like you've just like got it in for them, and you're going to bring them down. I mean, yeah, and I can't. I, I, their point. Well, I mean, their point overall was right, but I just felt poor old House of Pards. He's he's not done an awful job, right. you know. What was and, it you wanted to say about Lester and B Rod? Oh yeah, uh, what about that from B Rod? B to the R Rogers from five against Manchester City to not. They didn't have a single shot on target. I'm glad you bring that up. How do you have oh. how do you have 70% possession without a single shot on target? Andrew, Rogers was was going on last week about how he kind of changed things to suit playing against Pep and Pep style, and he abandoned his usual death by football. You know how many passes they had at the weekend? They had 680 something passes, twice what West Ham managed, and not a single shot on target this is death by football brendan so b Raj has gone back to what he usually does now he did say not having madison hurt them in the creative part of the field and i guess that is a genuine thing but not to have a single shot no. it's such a strange season already it's weird man it, everything's weird it is we're in the up, we're in the upside down yeah i've been trying to think about like could that be some kind of is this some sort of residual effect from there not being fans? And I I can't quite figure out what what that would be. But our players like maybe you're not the first person I heard say are, this. Are players playing looser because they're just not thinking about the guy in the tenth row who's staring daggers at him, or like a crowd screaming shoot when obviously you shouldn't do that? Like I just wonder if there's just like a more carefree environment for these players to kind of express themselves, and it's breeding results that you wouldn't expect. I don't know. You seem to share a mind with uh, a podcaster I was listening to earlier, Brian Murphy from, um, I regularly reference some second captains. He said that, he said the exact same thing as you about the fans not being there and the psychological effect. And where I disagree with both of you is, um, Twitter's still there. But that's social, not it. But that is not social affected, media. That's not in there. the moment, though. That is not in the moment. Okay. Yeah. You, what you he back to your phone afterwards and it affects you. But in the moment, you're not thinking about that. He He said, he he put it the same way as you in the moment you're thinking if you're playing badly you're like oh my god i'm playing badly in front of forty thousand people i've got to buck up and it has an effect on you and it it um Guys this is my turn Not, yeah it, it concentrates the mind and everything um also preparation time i guess like a truncated preseason. a lot of guys went away on holiday um 
It's weird, man. I don't know. It's it's very strange. Yeah. It's very strange. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. During this break, maybe we'll think more. We'll have a good long think about what's going on here and why uh, why this is happening. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of Americans. No, uh, we're going to talk about three Americans, actually. I'm going to well actually you big time. And you know, everyone does love having that guy around. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. Uh, well, actually. <laughs> for more of that guy, uh, don't go anywhere. More Caught Offside next. Oh, back now. Caught Offside. We'll do a quick transfer deadline day recap in just a moment. But first... Um, couple Americans I wanted to mention specifically here, JJ, Serginho Dest, his future is settled. He joins Barcelona. It was sort of a Barca or Bayern situation. Not not a bad situation uh, to be in. Um, but it's Dest joining Barca on a five-year deal with Ajax receiving a fee of around $25 million plus a potential $6 million in add-ons. The buyout clause, JJ, for Dest. Have you seen this number? No. What is the number? Oh, just, just a, a mere $470 million. For this is a young American player. I mean, oh did you my. think you'd see the day? This is this is unbelievable. Talk about highly valuing your attacking wingbacks. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, right? And he came, he came on and um, in a one-one tie with uh, with Sevilla. And it's interesting. I wonder how much a role Kuman had in 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 an XIX X Barca Dutch, also a Dutch national too. Great point. Had, had in kind of convincing him to come because uh, he was asked about positionally where he'd play. Uh, this is from ESPN. I can play on either side. I don't mind. Des told reporters after the game, if the coach, Ronald Koeman, needs me on the left, there's no problem. I'm really happy to make my debut and grateful for the confidence showed in me by the coach. I would have liked to get the three points instead of one, though, because that's the most important thing. But it's an incredible feeling to make my debut for Barcelona and to play in this stadium, the stadium of my dreams, despite the fact there were no fans there. Very nice. Very nice uh, introduction. What a week it has been for him. Yeah. I mean to be to be wanted by those two teams in particular. I mean, um, yeah, Pretty great. Yeah, uh, so props to him. The thing we always wonder with moves like this, you know, will he play? I believe he, I will. he will. I believe I he will. So. I mean, the uh, the thought I guess right now is that it's likely going to be kind of a, a back and forth between him and Sergi Roberto. Um, but I don't I don't know if you you know Barcelona clearly values this player for um, what that buyout clause is, what they spent to get him. Um, and what what his talent is. So I don't believe that this is somebody that's going to collect dust on the bench. I think you're going to see a lot of him, and I think that's that's amazing. So a couple Americans now at Barcelona with him and Conrad De La Fuente. So uh, a new Fulham, perhaps, in Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they uh, hope not. And then, uh, JJ, I wanted to mention Giovanni, Gio Reyna. An unbelievable game for Borussia Dortmund. Three assists for them in their 4-0 win. Per Opta, Reyna is the first American to record three assists in a single match among Europe's top five leagues since a player that was just mentioned on this podcast, I believe, a week or two ago, Steve Chirundolo, who did it for Hanover back in March of 2008. Chirundolo does not get enough love. That's what I was saying. He was my top underrated uh, player. Uh, Bundesliga. Yeah, but Chirondolo didn't do it at 17 years of age. Well, that is the thing. The Bundesliga noted that Reyna is the first 17-year-old to have three assists in a match since they began tracking match data back in 1992. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And like the the first assist for the opening Haaland goal is the one most people have seen. It was tweeted out. Um, just the way he slides that. It's not quite a no-look pass, but it's just his body shape. Everything is so comfortable. And what... 
Back in the day when we started this podcast, 2014, 2015, 2016, we were watching US teams toil and not play well. And we were asking, what's the next step? And I used to say to you, and you used to agree with me, that we can have creative players who are comfortable on the ball on both sides. Right. I mean, we're watching games against Mexico where it feels like possession is 80-20 because like, yeah. not no one was capable of, of going at them in attack. Oh, and you see this guy and it's like it's glued to his foot. By the way, before we uh, before we move on from Americans doing amazing things in Europe segment, uh, Chris Richards, Bayern Munich, an assist with a lovely driven cross cut back for Lewandowski in the uh, 4-3, the crazy 4-3 win over Hertha Berlin. What a weekend. This is- what a weekend. I, I, You know, maybe I'm getting sucked into, you know, your, uh, your friend... Um, He's a nice guy, uh, Arthur Kogan, that does USMNT only. I mean, I, he's not actually the worst with it. You see lots of sites that put up their prospective US teams. Oh, I love like, it. I'm getting sucked into it, man. These yeah. teams are unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then we haven't uh, even mentioned Pulsa coming on and making a, a, a brief debut for the season. Uh, just the bench good to get Chelsea. back out there. But that's, yeah, exactly. Um, and he played pretty well in a, in a short spell. So, you know, it's JJ, things are. Things are happening right now. They are. I would just love to have a camp or a game or something to push it on a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Reyna, and this was not just a, a one-match thing. He's been he has scored or assisted on five of Dortmund's last nine Bundesliga goals. Um, again, he, he's not he's, he's not a peripheral. He's not a peripheral figure. Even even like last season when he came on against Real Madrid in the Champions League, he gets on the ball and he, he drives with the ball. He can dribble. He's one thing I love about him is like the weight of his passing is just so good. Like he's, I mean, his father was brilliant. I'm old oh, enough yeah. that I, I remember his father, but he's he's a different type. I know a different type of player, but ooh, I'm getting all hot under the collar, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got a mailbag in a sec, but JJ, it is in fact transfer deadline day. We would be bereft in our duties if we did not do some sort of- Duty. Uh, some sort of winners and losers and significance of of deals and such. Um, I guess if, if you know, we're not going to go through every single one of them. Um, the more high profile ones and, and apologies if between the time that we recorded this and when you're listening, something else came down uh, that we have just haven't seen yet. But um, Edison Cavani is going to Manchester United, and it's one of those moves where. I don't know. It feels so transparent. Five years ago? It Yes, five years ago. And just transparent to me in a way that like, okay, we're not going to get Sancho. Oh my God. We've got nothing to show for. We better do something. Who's the biggest name out there that can appease the fan base? And like, I don't, I don't imagine Manchester United fans are appeased by a move like this. Um, it, it's not what they needed. Uh, I'm not saying that it, it it won't reap any sort of you know rewards for them. I still think he could be a good player. Uh, you know, guy was just in a Champions League final a, a couple you know month or so ago. So like it's it's not like he's done. But is this is this the issue for United that needed addressing? Now he's there on a free, so it's not like you know they had to break the bank to to bring minus. the player the. Well, my, minus his wages, yeah. I know. Minus the my, the wages will be significant, and the agents' fee is will be as well. Um, I mean, this is a guy who Inter Miami were trying to coax to, you know. So, no, that, but but you can't go off of that because they were trying to coax Luis Suarez as well. 
Um, I, and, and he's already making a positive, look, I, positive impact at Atletico Madrid. So Cavani has been a brilliant player and a brilliant goal scorer, but I have no idea. I literally have no clue what he's going to be like. And why does this smack? Why does this even seem a worse? Remember when they signed Falcao mm. and it, it just didn't work. And then did, didn't he go on loan to Chelsea or something? And But he went back to Monaco and was good. Yeah. I don't even think this will be like that. I, actually, why am I saying that? I have no clue. What, did he score four goals last season, Andrew? He's, I don't. I just don't see how he changes anything for them. Um, d- does he make them better? No, I don't think so. I'd love him to shock me. I'd love him to do what Zlatan Ibrahimovic did when he went to United, and but I don't see it. I just, I, I don't see it. And I also, he doesn't solve anything back the field, you know. I yeah. Now it maybe would, maybe this amazing relationship between him and Bruno Fernandez develops, but I mean, is he even fit? What what state of fitness is he in? He's he's thirty three. He's hardly played. He hasn't played months, right? No, these these are fair questions. It was not the only bit of business that United did today. They signed uh, Alex Telles as well, uh, Porto left back, uh, for fifteen point four million. Twenty uh, seven year old fullback for them. So, um, hmm. well, I guess we'll uh, we'll see if he's cover or re- a replacement for Luke Shaw, uh, who I know you mentioned earlier, who's not uh, typically one of your one of your favorites. So they're, no, they're yeah, trying, I, I mean, look, they're, they're up against it now because whatever their, their high priority moves were earlier in the window have not been able to come to fruition. So they're, they're trying to figure it out in, in a different way. Could yeah, they couldn't get Usman Dembele, which by the way, I don't even think that was a move that United fans particularly wanted either. But no, that fell through. No, um, I, 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 he is a replacement for sure. He's got to be Andrew got to be, um, yeah, these these younger signings might work out well, but again, we're in the kind of realm of the unknown a little bit. Uh, another one of the big ones today, not a ton, at least not that we've seen so far. Uh, also from Manchester United, Ahmad Diallo from uh, Atalanta. That comes in at just over $37 million. How good a business is that from Atalanta? That really is. And um, again, like highly rated highly rated player for a while there but the fact that they're going to let him go 37 million is big money for a small club like them again i don't know realm of the unknown well he's such a young player uh, yeah and he, like so he's as as american commentators would say he's got a lot of upside but i i don't know i don't know yeah which by the way I, that's that's not a mentality that i mind from a club like Manchester United. Like it, it no, is, it's, it's important to go out and get those young players. So even if, you know, like, okay, you, you now have brought in Cavani, who's going to have no sell on value beyond this. Like this is the end for him. Uh, you know, so at least with these young players, you know, it, it's, it's not just a guy who could be good for them, but it's also a, a possible source of a, a big revenue stream later on. If he chooses to, if he works there and wants to go somewhere bigger or somewhere different, um, and, and to be fair, I'll, I'll, our, if our responses seem down about United buying two young players, it's it's not that that's not we're not being negative just for the sake of it. It's looking at United's record with recruitment, looking at the way they've recruited in the past, and just being a bit cautious. Yeah, um, one of the other ones I wanted to mention for Arsenal, uh, Thomas Partey comes in forty-five million, I believe, is the number that's being talked about from Atletico mm. Madrid. Um, 
and um and Lucas Torreira goes in the in the opposite direction. Yeah. Which uh, is which, which is very interesting considering how how hailed including by people like me he was as a sign in for Arsenal. So Partey is interesting because he's a he's a very good player um but I think one of the when you see criticism of him one of the drawbacks for him ironically is one that we talk about with Arsenal all the time and that is guys who make mistakes that lead directly to goal scoring opportunities and he was among the leaders in that in uh, in La Liga last season. Um, mm. so if I, if I wanted to make a joke here, I probably could and just say that, oh, well, he'll, he'll fit in there perfectly. Um, but I won't make that joke cause I'm mature and I'm unbiased. Um, but look, I, I don't want to just, like you said, I don't want to sit here and rip every move. I mean, like, I don't know. It's maybe he'll, maybe he'll come good for them, but it's, it's a lot of money for, again, a player that I don't know. Does it, does it address exactly what they needed as well? Uh, I mean, I know they've gone out and spent certainly in this window on center backs, which was exactly where we said they need to spend. So they're trying to boost the squad in other areas. I'm okay with this move. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that the question you have to ask yourself is how much more development is there in him at 27? You know, you're talking about mistakes. That's that's going to be a concern, but he feels he needs to do something with that midfield. I think, the you know, is this a signing that, say would be welcomed by other Arsenal players. How is he going to link with Ceballos and, and guys like that? It's going, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, a few years ago, he was huge. He was, I mean, we thought he was on his way to the Premier League earlier than this. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that one shakes out. Yeah. Uh, do you have any kind of winners, losers for this window? Um, I think the winners, I think Everton have been winners because... They got their signings done early, and the three signings that have come in, Alan Decore and James Rodriguez, have immediately revamped uh, that Everton midfield. I think Tottenham, Andrew, honestly, getting two fullbacks of the quality, or wide players rather, of the quality of uh, Doherty, Regulon into the side, getting Bale in, although I'm sure you know it's going to be expensive. We have to see how that will work out. Uh, Carlos Vinicius up front. Um, and Hoiberg, who slotted into the team very well, I, I think it's been very good from Tottenham. And and mo- again, I'll say it, I think a lot is to be expected from Tottenham. I'm glad you mentioned Hoiberg because for a guy who essentially cost them just $3 million because because uh, that was kind of an exchange deal where Kyle Walker-Peters went back the other way, he has been fantastic for yeah. them. Had, one, had a great assist over the weekend. He has been really, really good. Uh, and it was a, you know, like, like I always say, like Daniel Levy takes a lot of shtick, but he does make shrewd moves, uh, and this one looks to be paying off pretty quickly. Um, I yeah. think Aston, Aston Villa getting Ollie Watkins for what he's done and the way, you know, to spend, thir- what was it, 30-something million on a championship striker, you know, it was really good recruitment. They'd done their homework on him, and they got him from Brentford, and I think long-term that's going to be a steal for them. Yeah, Um the thing I was going to mention about Tottenham that I kind of teased earlier, and it's sort of what you're dancing around. Harry Redknapp says he believes that they should now be able to challenge for the league. Oh, I think so too. Um, I guess that's hard for me to envision. Maybe, Why not? In maybe, this crazy- well, that's the thing. It's like maybe my mind is stuck in this place of Liverpool and City are just head and shoulders better than everyone else. But if Liverpool can lose 7-2 to Villa, maybe this season is just like maybe this is just going to be a different kind of season than what we saw last year. It, it, there's so many factors, the lack of preparation, the the no fans in the crowd, the, all these things that are hanging over the season. And also, Andrew, like I named, like 
I can name an excellent Spurs eleven. I I honestly believe, um, and me, and you know what? Maybe this is the season to have a negative manager too. Maybe this is the season to have a guy who who first of all cares about not conceding, when you can see everybody else just losing goals left, right, and center. Well, for a manager who cares so much about not conceding, he's what are the, in the last three weeks he's got a five goal game, a seven goal game, and a six goal game. So they are scoring at the other end. The thing I wonder about is I think we need to take those results under advisement, though, as well. You really do. One of them was Maccabi Haifa. The other one was. Um, uh, was Southampton and then the South- other one was Manchester United. Manchester United and we we pointed out the problems with Southampton and Manchester United like but these things count. I mean these of course they count. Of course they you count. You can and say it's Haifa but it was just 2 days after they went to penalties against Chelsea 2 days. My re- like they're, they're in the midst of 3 games in 6 days. My reservations about the manager are already well very well documented. We're all keenly aware of how you feel. I'm curious about how Bale will fit in because right now Kane and Son have unbelievable chemistry. And when Bale's ready to go, will that either it could be it could be incredible what they can now do in attack, or I you wonder will that disrupt things in some way? That would surprise me. But with the wages he's on, he's gonna have to start. Of course. And and I think he would want him to. Right, I mean, like it was Lamela that started this weekend, and, and if not him, it's Lucas Mora. I think most people would take bail over those two. We so. got a we got a mailbag coming up. Can I just quickly go through some more? Oh, sorry, excuse me. I should ask your winners or losers. Uh, we pretty much touched on them. We don't need to we don't need to belabor it. There was one other thing I wanted to mention actually that I just saw coming in. Um, uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek uh, appears to be headed to Fulham. Okay, um, so just down is, the road, which is a, a, a it's a loan move from Chelsea, um, which I think is a it's an interesting move, but I think it's a good move for him. Um, he needs to get minutes, and it's it's not going to happen at Chelsea, it seems right now. And I, while we mentioned Fulham, I meant to mention this before when we were talking about American players, but we saw Anthony Robinson over the weekend for Fulham. He played, and at least in the first half, I thought he played really, really well uh, as an attacking fullback for them. So um, again, another young player who is playing in one of the biggest leagues in the world, who at least in the early goings here seems to be uh, performing at a pretty high level. What were you going to say? Yeah, just, I just want to get to a few quick ones that are worth noting. Robin Olsen, the Swedish goalkeeper signs for Everton, um, which is considering the weekend that Jordan Pickford had, not just the mistake, but his general handling of the ball and, and jitteriness. Um, that's an interesting one. Um, Rafinha to Leeds uh, from Wren is done. Uh, Chris Smalling has made his move to Italy permanent, so he's now permanently at Roma from Manchester United. Uh, Walcott, Theo Walcott's going back to Southampton, where it all began, mm. on loan. Uh, Jack Wilshere released released by West Ham. I think it was the term was by mutual consent. Yeah. So um, those are a few other things that I saw. And also the, the rather strange removal of Gunnar Soros from the footballing landscape. Um, people are really concerned with this it seems but this is a guy andrew who you know represents the club at charities and at kids hospitals and things like that and um considering the relative wealth of football and it's it just seems a bit callous and cold that you're they, right like how much i mean not to belittle him but how much is that cost to have a right to have that not much like, the, that needs to that's got to go like i don't yeah. know I don't like it. Um, we should mention also with Arsenal departing them in addition to Lucas Torreira, uh, Matteo Guendouzi going from Arsenal to Hertha Berlin on loan. Um, yeah. A player whose stock seems to have, in the last, I'd say, year and a half or so, has just plummeted. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, when you think, it's not that long ago, probably a year ago, I was talking about playing Torreira and Guendouzi in the same midfield. 
And look at them now. Both Arteta has uh, got his ideas, man. Yeah, and good for him. He's this is exactly what he should be doing. If he's got no use for him, why keep him around? Have a miserable player on your hands. Um, and then also a couple other ones, JJ, that were a little bit eye opening to me. Eric Maxim Chupa Moteng goes from PSG to Bayern Munich, so he switches sides from uh, the Champions League final from just uh, a month or so, a couple months ago. A guy who just cannot be with anybody other than a massive team for yeah. not really any clear reasons. <laughs> uh, and Douglas Costa going from Juventus to Bayern Munich on uh, on a loan as well. So uh, they're adding adding reinforcements in uh, in Munich. Um, let's see. You want to do the mailbag now? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. Let's get after it. Uh, at CEO Soccer Pod on Twitter, CaughtOffSidePod at gmail.com, CaughtOffSide ESPM on Instagram. Please come and follow us there. Um, Jason was one of a number of listeners who – wanted to talk about the incident between the San Diego Loyal of the USL and their uh, rivals, the Phoenix Rising, last week. Um, this is from Sports Center's Twitter, so just basically to let you know what happened if you don't already know. Um, the San Diego Loyal walked off the field in protest Wednesday night saying a Phoenix Rising player used an anti-gay slur directed at openly gay midfielder Colin Martin. Manager Landon Donovan discussed the incident with the referee and Phoenix head coach Rick Sands. Um, so lots of people wanted to talk, wanted us to talk about this and 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 the direction that Donovan. I mean, Donovan was, I mean, he was incensed, he was upset, and he basically the game was abandoned. So I think it's important to note the backdrop of this. And if anybody hasn't read it yet, I would I would recommend going to ESPN FC. And Jeff Carlisle has a really in-depth piece um, about this incident. And he goes back a week or so because I think it's it's just interesting to know the kind of the headspace that San Diego were in when this happened. So I'm reading here from Jeff's article where he says, all of this happened amid the backdrop of another instance of verbal abuse against a San Diego loyal player. A week earlier, the N word had been directed at a San at San Diego's Elijah Martin, no relation to Colin by now former LA galaxy two defender, Omar Ontiveros. Ontiveros wasn't sanctioned with a red card as he should have been, despite the slur being heard by one of the officials in the aftermath. Uh, there was also regret on the part of the loyal players that they didn't do more to back up their teammate. So that has just happened. Yeah. But these San Diego players are still, that is still kind of simmering within them um, that that incident occurred and that they were regretful in the way that they responded to it. So now fast forward to this moment happening where less than a week later, it's a different slur that's used to belittle a different player on the team. And I think there was just kind of this element of that's it. Enough, like we've had it. We've had it enough um, and I think, look, people have listened to this podcast long enough to know where you and I typically fall on these issues. Like, it, you know, that's, we're going to be on the side of, 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 ex, of extreme tolerance here. And that is the side of, of Landon Donovan and the action that those San Diego players took in walking off. Uh, I thought it was, I, I thought it was interesting because sports in that sports center center tweet, they had the audio and video of the, uh, Rick, uh, Shance, the, um, Phoenix head coach kind of talking to Landon Donovan about this and, 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 and chance, you know, Donovan is, is, is very, very earnest and saying, we got to get this out of the game, man. We got to get this out of the game. And, and chance is like, come on, man, don't make a big scene. He's They're competing the whole thing, downplaying the whole thing. How long have you been playing soccer? And that's n- obviously not the way that we're going to go forward with these things 
if like we can't go forward that way if we're going to make real change what donovan did is what's going to cause real change last year andrew i played in a in a in a game for a team and i got called the f word the homophobic slur the f word over dispute over offside right and it was screamed at me by a man who is probably his kids old enough to know better and he just shouted at me and the way it made me feel has never left me and i didn't do anything and nobody around me did anything and i it it's right there i think you can't it, i guess it's so long since i've heard that word in a public forum that it took me aback and it was shouted at me and there was hey i'll be honest there was a time back in the day when i was younger if i had heard that it wouldn't have been rare, but it is really rare and it is really jarring to hear it now. And I'm sorry I didn't do something then just for myself. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, for me, the, the thing that bothers me in these situations are when you see these people in positions of authority who, for, for lack of a better word, enable it. And I think that's, that's what you're seeing with. But that's Rich a common Dan. reaction. That is a really common reaction. I know. Like and and the point Donovan made is really well made. He goes, "We got to get this out of the game, because Andrew, it is a part of the game." Yeah, uh, Jeff Carlisle. He went on to write about it. Phoenix manager Rick Shantz not only declined to substitute Junior Flemings, the, the player who had said it, uh, but tried to downplay the incident, telling San Diego manager Landon Donovan that it was just something that happens in the heat of the battle. Uh, okay, not anymore. Well, how, do we, that's, how do we stop it happening? Right, right. And if he just subbed the player out, it could have made the whole the whole difference, and it could have been like a learning point for this guy. You can't play if you say things. Well, like there were that. any number of ways that this could have gone that would, yeah. that would have diffused the situation at least somewhat. And right. subbing him out was like the easiest. He should have been red carded. I mean, but once the referee is enabled with this knowledge, because the referee said he didn't know what was said or he didn't hear what was said or there was some confusion. When it was told to him, he didn't understand what he didn't understand the slur. I guess I don't right. know. Okay. If there, okay. was, if there was a language barrier in it or or whatever, um, yeah. but he didn't seem to understand it. But he was made aware of what it meant. Yeah. And so he could have taken retrospective action and sent him off and on we go with the game. And it would have made a real um, point. But there we are. Uh, I, not to say it, San Diego Loyal have done the right thing in this case. Um, uh, Eli Santo, uh, the Tottenham Man United and Liverpool Villa scorelines have to make today one of the most memorable days in recent EPL history. What are some of your most memorable match days? I had a surprisingly hard time with this one. Um, but the, the days I remember are obviously the last day in 94, 95, when United couldn't beat West Ham and Blackburn were crowned champions despite Liverpool beating them at Anfield. Uh, another one was Robbie Fowler's hat trick in four minutes, 33 seconds against Arsenal on the second day of the 94, 95 season. And uh, one that always sticks in my mind, not involving Liverpool, was uh, Chelsea 2, Arsenal 3. In uh, October 99, the Canu hat-trick day. Chelsea went 2-0 up. I remember it was a really wet day. And Canu just put on this this show. And uh, 3-2 Arsenal. Um, those are those really stick out for me. Uh, Marie. Hey, guys. Just want to say I really like the pod. And I particularly enjoy your dynamic as I am a Liverpool fan. And my girlfriend is a Tottenham fan. We always get a kick listening to you talk about our clubs. My question is this. With Klopp having a contract until 2024 and with the success he's having do you think he's the manager best positioned to have a long tenure at a big club 
Should he choose to stay past 2024? The kind of tenure we don't see anymore a la Fergie and Wenger. Um, I don't know about you, Anger, uh, Andrew. I don't see managers lasting that long anymore. Um, yeah, I, I, would, think 20, I would tend to agree with you. I think 2024 will be it for him. And that will be, what, nine years? Yeah, which is a long time. It's certainly yeah. a long time, especially Miguel, in today's game. Miguel Delaney did a, a, I haven't read it, I just saw the headline, but he did some kind of a investigation into how long the best managers stay in the sweet spot. And their their managerial peak is like, I think it was like something like 12 years for like the Vengers and the, I'd have to read it, but he was saying it's it's a sh- it's a short enough period of time, and it's hard to stay in that spot. And I wonder too if if Klopp views that year as like when this iteration of Liverpool, like these players, Mane, Salah, Firmino, um, you know, obviously they have super young talent as well, like uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, but Van Dijk, some of these other guys, like if maybe they'll be hitting the end of their prime, um, right? And Klopp maybe just. He just may not have it in him to want to embark on like I won't use the word rebuild because a club like Liverpool is never really rebuilding. Um, but is he going to want to have to do this all over again? And yeah, try to exactly get a side back up, and maybe it's going to be hard to recreate this with what Liverpool have done the last couple of years. And maybe he just would rather go somewhere else and and start over. I don't know. Yeah, Miguel Miguel says uh, it's like twelve years or something. Uh, he goes through Vicente Del Bosque at the top 12, Jock Steen 11 years, Kenny Daglish 10 years. It's it's the article's called When is a football manager past it? So um, that might be 12, might be worth having. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Zane Barber. Uh gents, I've been watching SSE Airtricity on the half season pass. So that's Irish League soccer. On the half-season pass, I've decided I need a team to support. I'm not partial to any tier. I'm inclined towards Galway United because of a friend from there. Do you know? Do you have a better suggestion? I'm a Sligo Rovers fan. I'm from the west of Ireland. I would always say Sligo Rovers, Zane. But I think you should go with your gut. Go with Galway. Um, Zane goes, I'm, the president of Ireland supports Galway, so why, why not join him in, in being a United fan? Uh, also, your podcast has become my number two on the priority list. Amazing chemistry, banter, and insight. You two would have done well as a career in the military. You sound like two infantry soldiers waxing poetic while stuck at an observation post in Afghanistan. It's awesome. <laughs> thank you for everything. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Zane, for being out there and and um, looking after all of us. Yeah. Um, I'm always humbled when someone says something like that, but I, I think... I think me and you would make bad soldiers. Uh, first off, how dare you? You don't know what I would be like in the heat of combat. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be with you in the heat of combat. I don't think. Really? I, rely I, on, uh, I would. Lo- you and me in a foxhole. You think we'd be all right? Sure, I'd look out for you. I'm a little worried about the things you're saying about me right now. I don't know that you'd have my back in the same way. It's it's concerning all we've been through, and now to hear you talk this way. No, I just can't put us in that in that position, you know. I I can't imagine it. I I know one thing: our need for validation yes. means that whenever we'd come home, we would demand everyone thank us for our service relentlessly because we couldn't be good soldiers about it. Right. Even on the spot, though, I would be kind of like, "Hey, Lieutenant, what'd you think? Hit <laughs> How am I target. doing? Hit that target pretty good there, huh?" Um, speaking of of this sort of thing. Um, JJ, I'm not speaking to the um, 
the people. Now I'm just talking to you directly because you know how I, I get nervous about making recommendations to people who aren't you. Um, it makes me self-conscious. But I, I watched Greyhound over the weekend. It's the uh, oh, okay. Tom Hanks World War II uh, on Apple TV+. Plus. He's um, a captain of a destroyer um, in the Battle of the Atlantic. Uh, it was surprisingly short. Like This feels like, like a Tom Hanks epic World War II movie. You think you're settling in for three hours. This was 90 minutes. Uh, oh, wow. But it was quick. A lot of action. Feel like you're there. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. But then again, I, I'm one of these people, I like to like things. So I go into these movies wanting to like it. With an open mind. Right, yeah. right. Which leads us, I think, beautifully into this next question. Well, before we get to that, how crazy is, is it that there is a, a U.S. soldier in Afghanistan who is watching Irish League soccer? I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love That's it. Cool. Yeah, yes, our, our final question uh, tonight is from Ahmed. Um, have you heard of the show Ted Lasso? It's based off the American comedy skit where American football coach takes over Spurs, but in this series, it's with a team called AFC Richmond, and they are in the Premier League. Not sure how other people are rating it right now, but I find it absolutely hilarious and just thought I'd give it a shout out. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. I had no, I will be totally honest, um, I had no desire to watch this. No. None. But... I'm on Twitter every once in a while and like people who I respect, like that I genuinely have respect for on their opinions are raving about this show. And at first I kind of brushed it aside, but I'm seeing more of it and more of it. And then we're getting emails and tweets like this from more and more people. And I feel like it's finally reached a point now where like, uh, it's almost irresponsible of us not to watch it. So I right. watched the first episode. Um, it was fine. I'll continue. I mean, the first episode was mainly just setting up what this the show is going to be. So I'm not going to okay. judge it on like on a, a, an episode that is essentially just giving you background. Um, so I'll stick with it. It's it's a quick watch. It's like a sitcom, thirty minutes. I like Jason Sudeikis. So sure, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Uh, I would just say though, like it, it feels like it's. I feel like I know the formula of how yeah. this is going to go. But you know what? So what though? Like if it's funny, like regardless of whether or not I like. You know, we talk about soccer movies and stuff. I, JJ, you've heard me wax poetic about goal. I thought it was a, a masterpiece. Right. Um, so, <laughs> you know, goal two and goal three, I I have my uh, my feelings on. But the fact you didn't you didn't particularly enjoy the pilot would concern me. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just thought you didn't it was, laugh. Uh, I laughed. I think twice. Oof. Oof. Well, I was a lot. Is it normal to just like howl and laughter by yourself? I don't know. Like, you can if still you're enjoy enjoying it. something. You should be chuckling all the way through it. I would. Think. But you know, I, I've gone into things before with with really low expectations, and I've been blown. Like I, I, I thought that, um, like when I saw MacGruber, I was like, this is going to be just a lame attempt at recreating like a, an ordinary kind of SNL skit. JJ, it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. So I'll give it a chance. Like I said, I like to like things. So I'm going my to right at it. Yeah. Yeah, my concern is not about giving it a chance. I will do that. My concern is that when you when people tell you something is a feel, it's the feel good film. So I saw a reviewer write, "It's a feel good film that we need right now." What that is that? that is to quote Peter Griffin, insisting upon me. It insists upon itself. And then we have a listener um, who on Twitter just the best he could sum it up was, 
I don't expect it to be about football or anything like that. Just enjoy the feel goodness of it. Okay. So I'm being told how I'm going to feel or how I need to feel to enjoy this thing going in. That is that there are warrant there are alarm bells going every side. Here's the only here's what I will say to counter those things. Again, I haven't watched it yet, so I'm defending the show that I've never. You watched the pilot. What I, are you talking about? I haven't seen the series. I've seen one thirty minute episode. Um, what I will say to defend it is. And you've seen this too. We live obviously in a in a culture where people only want to destroy things on Twitter, wherever critics they only want to tear things apart. Like that's just what that's how media culture is now. That that's how critical culture is. We just want to rip stuff. I haven't not once. I have not seen one person do that about this show. So like in a, in an environment like that for this show to be up to this point in, in my view from what i've seen unanimous in people who love it i feel like i got to give it a chance you know what we got to get it wiped get season 1 done for next week and then we'll get oh talking my God, about it in the whole in one week jj we've got it's an international well, actually it's an international break so yeah maybe we do have time right. which i should quickly mention that the playoff the playoff semifinals for um, your 2020, 21, which it really will be, um, are starting. And I suppose Norway and Serbia, Scotland and Israel, Georgia, Belarus, North Macedonia, Kosovo, uh, Bosnia, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Northern Ireland, Slovakia and the Republic of Ireland. If you have any interest in any of those, they are happening this week, right. Thursday for the Republic of Ireland. Well, there you go, man. Hey, this was fun. Oh, my. This was this is a big one. Oh, oh, yeah, I don't doctor. Care. Good. There's a lot to discuss. No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Hey, enjoy the foliage, JJ. I hope you get out. I hope you can be with nature. Um, carve a pumpkin or two. Eat some seeds. Just really, you know, take in take in these times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're trying, when you're trying to be earnest, I, I just can't take it. Well, that's sad. That's sad. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Bye, pumpkin. Listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.